I'm Nicolas Bornois of Capital Inc. and I would like to welcome you all to uh, the newest session of our podcast series, Riding the Waves of a Lifetime. This podcast series gives us the opportunity to interact, to discuss with maritime industry leaders who share with us career and life experiences as well as their industry uh, insight uh, on the industry's challenges, directions, risks, and opportunities. And we are privileged to have with us today, Christian Holt. Christian is known in the maritime industry. By the way, I will not go through the long uh, CV of Christian, but I would like to highlight a few major uh, uh, moments. So Christian is known in the maritime industry, not only for her long and impactful career at the top of a global banking institution, but also for her commitment to sustainability, her industry insight and foresight, and her strong and well-argumented positions. Christine is a person of opinions, and that's wonderful. So Christine was with DNB for a total of 36 years, from 1984 to the end of March 2020. As we all know, DNB is one of the world's leading shipping offshore and logistics financial institutions with clients in all major segments of the industry and presence in the important maritime hubs around the world. After six years as head of DNB Americas, Kristen became global head of DNB's shipping offshore and logistics division in 2013. And four years later, she was appointed global head of the ocean industries division in DNB, a newly created division. That uh, new division included the bank's activities across all segments of the maritime and offshore industry, like uh, shipping, offshore, logistics, oil and gas, oil field services, and seafood, all of those uh, sectors, important sectors for DNB. And Christine, as we all know, has been one of the main architects of the Poseidon principles. And today she serves on a number of uh, corporate boards as non-executive director. I will name a few, Gaslog until it, became uh, it was taken private, MESC drilling, MESC tankers, and high-tech vision. So quite a long and uh, very impactful uh, career. Uh, Christine, thank you very, very much for being with us today. I will start now with a few questions. You've been with DNB for such a long time. You've been part of the uh, banking and uh, ship finance industry for a long time. Uh, with impactful careers, I mentioned. Tell us, how did you get into shipping finance? Thank you, Nikolai. Thank you so much for uh, having me here. Um, I think uh, many things in life, maybe most things in life, uh, are a coincidence. And um, when I went to business school, I was writing a thesis on international banks uh, coming to Norway, establishing in Norway, because at that time they, they could not be in Norway. And having done that, I found it interesting to, to look at the global industries or international industries. So I, uh, by coincidence, again, uh, I, was, uh, um, I, I was told there was an open position in Bergen Bank in the shipping department as a trainee. And so I went there and uh, met the boss, uh, or leader that, Anneja, uh, who was a, a renowned person within the shipping industry. So he, she, I had an interview with her and I got the job for a trainee in the shipping department. And at that time, you know, Bergen Bank was a really small bank uh, international. It was, a, it was a international banks dominating shipping. So uh, DNB, oh, we were not DNB, Bergen Bank, DNC, Christiani at that time, they were more smaller banks or seen maybe as local banks from the international uh, banks. So, so that's how I, that's how it all started. It all went from there. So you have been in, in this industry for quite some time. You have seen the ups and downs of the industry, both from, from the maritime end and also from the ship financing end. So tell us, what would you consider a few of the major milestones in your career development? I think uh, one of the things I learned uh, and, I, I, and I also um, advise is don't plan too much. I think take be open for opportunities when they come and uh, and 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 grab them because uh, that's what makes life fascinating and your career more interesting instead of just 
planning for something and uh, you will be more disappointed because then and then maybe not open for opportunities and when you said also i work so long in in the nb it can look like i've done the same but i've i've been able to have many different positions in the nb and and and, um, and that's that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, interesting when you are working such a large uh, institution so uh, we and with the cyclical industry we've been through so many downturns i think that's that also makes or creates possibilities um so uh, um i think the first downturn we had uh, in the um, uh, or, or for industry in the late 80s which, which i was part of then i had opportunities to to, to also um, go to london so i worked at our london office for a while uh, and that also in an early part of career to go international to see to be and then i worked with greek clients and i worked with london greek clients so, so suddenly you are exposed to, to a different world. And for me, that was really make it even more engaging and interesting to be part of that industry. So I think that was really cementing. Yes, this is something I want to, to continue working with. Um, and then um, I would say maybe when there were many, many interesting times through those years and I, I got different positions and different client base. But then coming to, to, to New York in 2007, I think was a, a really major step because I, I didn't then only have responsibility for what happened in the maritime part in, in, in America, it's also the whole bank. Uh, it was it was oil and gas. It was seafood. It was the funding uh, from America. It was the the trading floor. It was really um, operating a bank, and 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 there, I, I came to New York in August two thousand seven, and that was really when the financial crisis started. So to be at the head of a bank uh, in such in 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 the U.S. made the whole um, financial crisis much closer because you were running back and forth to the dealing room to see what was going on and how, 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 how would we really come out of this? So it became much more stronger than if I'd been in Norway. So I think that moment coming to New York at that time was really uh, making it even more interesting to, 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 be, to work globally. Um, and, and then coming back home to, to Norway to head, head shipping or shipping offshore and logistics was a, a, a very, it was a great position to have uh, and to continue then with what I had learned over the years and also from the time in the US. Um, and, and the next step was to have ocean, where I broadened my scope to the, the energy. And as, as you know, seafood, energy, shipping, that's the main industries, export industries in Norway. They, they account for 70% of the export in Norway. And at that time, more than 50% of the capital of the Oslo Stock Exchange. So, so, so they are a really profoundly important industry for Norwegian economy. So that was that was something I, I, I really liked doing as a last part in DD because I felt to create ocean was um, extremely important for 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 DNB or for an environment to see that as a financial institution DNB will continue not just supporting but investing and be part of those industries in the future. Um, so so that's maybe the the main part, main main steps, and and then obviously my last step was um, uh, when I won uh, a bit more than one year ago. Took my next phase in life and started for my own uh, my own business, and then going into to board positions. So, so in a way, I've been very close to one institutions, but I've worked globally and I worked in different places uh, within that institutions and in different positions. And the institution has changed over those years. So I find. I never had a boring moment. Absolutely. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but from what I hear, uh, these are all major milestones uh, in your uh, career. Any, any of those that you consider also as major challenges that you had to deal with and, and how did you overcome them? I assume, of course, that, uh, you know, being in New York at the height of the financial crisis or then you know, going back to Norway and taking over the whole uh, industry uh, division. These must be both milestone and challenges, but there are any particular ones that you would like to highlight? I think the, 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 maybe not some specific, but, but I think the, these downturns we had in industry and how, how you as a financial institution and how you as a team handled 
uh, how handle this have been really been, I would say, have created or uh, maybe been very uh, core part for forming the, the institutions and, and, and you as a leader. Because when we learned that in the 80s, we learned that in the 90s, um, I experienced that in, in, with the financial crisis. Uh, we had a shipping downturn just after financial crisis. We had the offshore crisis in 2013, so starting late 2013, beginning 14, uh, and until until 17. And then we had this the last part. So I think the fact that you when you work in a cyclical industry and you you have a long vision, you have a long term view, you want to be there, you build relationships, and we always said we are long term. That means you, you you need to handle downturns and upturns, uh, and, and be able to maybe come stronger out of the downturn. I think so. I I would say having worked in cyclical industries, and with this a solid bank uh, which we were, or our bank is, and with that commitment to the industry, made us fight through those downturns in a way that makes maybe made it even more engaging because we were there really to, to, to be part of the clients to get through. So I think those downturns have been the most exciting, the most challenging, and they also the most rewarding because you, you, those you help or those you manage to get through and then with them, your own institution managed to get through um, just shows that you have a, in, a in, in, in the beginning, a good business model. And, and that it makes sense what what uh, what we do. So I maybe say that has been the most important milestones, but from, they all been a bit different because these, these downturns come differently. Of course. By the way, I would like to thank you again. Uh, a month ago, we had uh, our Norway forum and you were part of a great panel with, uh, with Hannah Thorstein, uh, Peter Anker and Herman Billung and uh, you really took us uh, through the uh, shipping industry and, and the finance industry, past, present, and future, sharing your insight on the industry's development and direction. So that, that was a particularly uh, insightful and interesting discussion. So I would like to urge um, our viewers to also uh, access that uh, panel session, which was particularly, particularly interesting. Thank you so much. It was uh, fun, fun to be part of it. You know, it was very interesting that it was a trip down memory lane, but it was also a trip down the future. Yes, and, and I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's good for yourself to go through that memory lane as well, because uh, remember what happened. And I think for those in the industry, for those coming into the industry today, it's also interesting to look what, what has happened. How have you managed these downturns during the all these uh, all these years and, and what can they learn from it i think that that is a valuable exercise to do so any particularly memorable uh, moments that you would like to share with us uh, pleasant funny difficult moments in your career that have sort of uh, remained in your memory very vividly i'm sure you have plenty of them <laughs> yes obviously there 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 i would say what is really um, what makes it fun to be in this industry? I think maybe I use the word fun because, and I also, I had I started with a very strong leader, Anna Jan, who I mentioned so often uh, because we have so much to thank her for building um, Bergen Bank's uh, shipping department at that time. And we were quite a few females there. So we, we were, we, in a way, renowned as a, the female bank. But, uh, to have a strong leader when you start, which is, is a um, shows has a vision, has a direction, um, well respected and, and and decisive. I think that has been extremely important for forming me in my my career. That to see it's possible, it's possible to, and as we talked about in that uh, that that seminar, that time our our banks were small. All the, the Norwegian clients wanted just to work with the international banks. Uh, but then the crisis came and the international banks didn't uh, act the way the Norwegian clients hoped they should act. And, and then there was a room for Norwegian banks to come in and it, in a way that, that that was a pass through into to become much bigger into the industry. And to learn that, I think that's maybe more memorable moments to learn that you can come from a small positions and really with, with, with 
view with with a good business plan with a consistency you can become a leader you can be, i mean you, your institution can become the world leader but it just takes time and your commitment and 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 drive and i think that's more the big moment for me than um, uh, that has been so exciting in a way so couple that with with managing that vision through downturns i think has been the most exciting part but the you're asking for these moments and i would say having traveled around the world you meet so exciting people and this industry is filled with with, with characters uh, and they are so different so going to a seafood um seafood um uh, clients in in peru or in in chile to a greek client to a to a new york client to an asian client and then to a west coast norway offshore i mean you have you have the whole broad base and 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 i think all these people you learn so much from all of them because they are in their local environment but they're also global in their thinking so i think it's a fascinating industry to be to be part of couldn't agree more, even though, of course, you have been uh, part of it in a much larger scale. Um, but staying with the topic of, uh, of banking and, and sweep finance, I mean, you have seen the industry develop over time. Banks just used to be the primary source of uh, capital for this capital intensive industry. Things have changed. Take us through how do you see the change in the industry? And when you look ahead, what, what do you see as the future of the uh, of super finance and, and, and banks in this industry? It's been, um, I think it, that might have been, might also be the case for many other industries, but but we we see it from from our industry and 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 if you go back to the eighties, you had fund, bilateral funding. You had very few syndicates. You you had some, but you basically had a very one to one banking relationship, and and the industry was completely dependent on. Uh, um on on the banks and very few were listed and you didn't have a bond market at all and and but then came various um schemes like the kaya schemes japanese lease scheme you had the kg scheme um then we started to build up more syndications and 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 uh, bank working banks working together and then we we managed i think also through the cycles to see that you need to broaden your capital base and as the companies become bigger you need to have a more diversity that took much longer time than i thought i would have thought that that the industry would have gone more to the equity market to the bond market and 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 capitalize on being global players it took a long time before they really the bond market became important for um capital source for for, for the industry and it also took many years before they really had the had the listing both in in Oslo and, and New York, which basically are the place to list. So it, it's become gone from that angle to now much more sophisticated. So the, the sophistication is maybe the most important word here from where what has happened within the industry. And bear in mind, uh, if in from my old bank when I started, the, in the shipping industry well, were always the most sophisticated clients for for our funding, for our for our FX products. They because they were global, and there we were competing with international banks. So it's been it's always been a drive to had been a drive for us to be to become stronger. And and now what we see today, uh, much more sophisticated, as I said, and and the companies use much broader base of um, of funding and it really accelerated after the financial crisis because then you you started to see banks started to have get requirements for building more equity and by building more equity you you change the models in the bank for how you make your your return and then risk rated return came into play in a much larger degree than we had before so it before that it was it was risk based but it was more nominal based in the end now the risk part become heavier that means you put more capital aside and that means you you need a different return and that has been really the fight for banks uh, since 20 i would say 2009 2010 how to get a good return in a capital intensive in a cyclical industry uh, where you very much rely on the lending so that has been like the big change that for banks to have sufficient return they need to 
have the solidity of the clients. They have to make certain they get through the cycles and, and they also need other uh, or a broader base of return. Um, so that has made more some banks, maybe that uh, made banks faster out of the industry or reducing the portfolio. And, and quite a few have always commented on, on, on DNV why we reduced the portfolio. Are we going out of shipping? No, we were, the bank was reducing the portfolio in shipping in order to make certain what, what they had made a good return, but at the same time, invest in the investment banking part, invest in people and products so you can serve the whole whole broad base for the clients. The same same model as you see, for example, Citibank has and, 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 and several others, but that's because we wanted to be in the industry, but we wanted to have a return. And you have to have a return, you need to have a broader base on the lending. So I think that has come to stay. And by that, you also focused it on fewer clients because you can't handle so many clients with that broad base. And many of smaller clients might not use all those products or very few of the products. And then it's more challenging to really have the return. So you can you can still have have that client type, but you 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 will diverge towards those where you can. You spend more time and maybe it's five out of 10 products you end up doing because you, you work much more with fewer clients to find good solutions. So it's a, you become more a financial advisor than a just a lender. So that has been like the, 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 the road we have gone along. And what we see now is that after the last downturn, uh, now we fewer, fewer, oh, fewer banks, are in the in the shipping industry, so it's much 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 tougher. That means it's opened up for other possibilities. And you see, Chinese is maybe the biggest um, new uh, new lender, but you also have private lending. So you have companies direct or direct lending um, as another important element. So I think it's the, the industry develops. So it's what's important for any company is to 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 be. Um, as ahead as you can and to reduce your financial risk and understand what is what kind of policies are available for you because they that will that will differ as both depending on your business model but also what's happening out in the market so it's become the financial risk is can be high if you don't really spend enough attention to what's best funding for you as a company and how can you in a way put that risk down so you can focus on operational and, and market risk because there's not a lot of <laughs> enough risks <laughs> for, a, for a company so i think that 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 is that that's a mentality it's a different business model different way of working um and and that hasn't all banks haven't really come into that mood um and many of those you have seen then uh, disappear so it's it's a very changed um, dynamics and what you had for example, before the financial crisis. But in, indeed, as you summed it up, these are very highly changing dynamics But I, if, from the banking perspective. But if I turn the table now and I go to the uh, ship owner side, uh, shipping is, um, as you mentioned, uh, volatile, uh, seasonal, cyclical, uh, capital intensive industry, and also highly fragmented. So if we are in an environment where access to capital is very important, especially given all the investments that ship owners have to do now to comply with the environmental regulations, with fleet renewal, with technological uh, requirements. If you are a medium or small size ship owner, how do you navigate through this? And does that inevitably lead to an industry consolidation? And would that change the fabric of the industry? It's a, it's a question we have debated <laughs> for many years, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so, and, and, and I think we all have thought there will be a consolidation. Yes, this will be, and now there will be a consolidation. We said that in, in shipping, we said it in offshore, and, and it hasn't really happened as fast as we have thought. But, but you know, the, the, the ship, shipping industry is very much based on the owners or families have worked with this in, or, or, or they have established these companies and built them and developed them and, and they want to control them or they want to have to drive them. And that also, how can they pay with the 
capital market in a way and have the access and still have that position or at this at which stage do you dilute yourself uh, so you actually you need you get more capital from others coming in in order to what to, to have the company grow that is a big dilemma for every family every business family well, at which stage do you let go in a way the control maybe the negative control who do you partner with and, and how do you how do you go from here so, so there are many business models you can have for getting the capital, like like I mentioned, Chinese lease that you can have and still keep the same model. Um, but that gives you also higher gearing, can give you higher gearing because the leases are actually quite quite highly geared. Uh, but get, give you access to a funding which can be exactly what you want. So I think you can you have more you have more tools in the toolbox. But what is important is actually what you want as a as a owner or a initiator or a family, and what how do you want to drive your company, and and how do you use the capital market in a constructive way to actually to go the direction you want to go, and 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 it's hard to start. I know it's hard to start and get capital. I think that is the hardest part, and that's for every, every industry. And at some stage, it's in equity, and at which stage do you actually get the bank in? And at this becoming a certain size, you 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 need more lending, and maybe it's more the local banks. But then you, the big step is when you go into the next step in a way, and and, and need more capital, and you're not this big size, you're not a small size. So it's that has been yes, I agree. It's becoming more challenging but i always say that um there are more opportunities now than in the capital market than we saw uh years back so uh, it's it, there back to a bit how how do you want to drive your business model and how do you need to partner to get the capital or what do you need to do to to build and grow the company so staying on the industry side can you share with us how you see the industry develop uh, post COVID-19? What are the uh, biggest, I mean, you have commented on the industry's resilience, flexibility and adaptability. Uh, so when you look ahead, how do you see the industry developing uh, post COVID-19 and what are the biggest challenges or changes that you see in the industry? Not the banking industry, but the maritime industry. Yeah, both of them, and and I think the jury is still out uh, how we will come out. But I think um, shipping is transporting between eight and ninety percent of the world's goods or tra transport. So, shipping is a surviving industry <laughs> for a long term. So I think let's start with that. And how how does it impact? I think uh, will there really be a transformation of where you produce the goods, for example? Will you start to produce more? locally than you did than before, less in China, less in Asia, more locally. Jury is still out for that, maybe for some, but not maybe for all. Uh, so, so I think there is no major um, the systematic change um, which says it will be different. So I think what is the major difference for the industry is, is the way it takes to become um, uh, to, 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 to reduce emissions, to, to have more uh, environment-friendly well, um, designs, um, propulsion systems, fuel, uh, and how, your, 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 how you how use the sailing pattern, how you optimize the transportation. I think that is really, um, it's accelerated during COVID. So I said, is this anything we debate in any meeting you have with any clients and every question everybody has is what is the ship for the future? How does it look? And, and that has been part of why we have seen fewer new buildings. And that is too early to, and too early to say, well, most ships now are, are built with dual fuel systems and, and some with, with, with more eco-friendly designs, but, but and is LNG the, the trans the, it, in the transition period? What is in the next? Is it hydrogen? Is it what ammonia? All these big questions. And that, but what I think is so fascinating to see is the broad um, and and high investment the industry now take to find solutions and how the industry make joint ventures make uh, collaborate across the value chain. 
and with with the academia, with the with the R and D institutes, with to find solutions or test and try a new solution. I think that is that is a completely different sentiment. When we started to, to look into IMO requirements, I think many thought, oh, that those will be postponed. They will not be postponed. When we realized that that will not be postponed, I think really that accelerated uh, the investment and the focus to find new solutions. Um, and that's just coming. Today's requirements will be higher in some years. And there's that's not a minimum. That is uh, that is a minimum. You, you, you need to be even better than that. So I would say the, the seriousness how the industry take the child that challenge in a serious in a serious way is maybe the most um, um, not surprising, but it's very good to see, because shipping hasn't always been in, in front of the environmental development or technical development, uh, or it's quite conservative industry. So to see that to see this engagement now, I think is um, gives a lot of opportunity for those who manage to be a bit ahead and, and to build their business case around having a, a, a fleet for the future and a business model for the future. Absolutely. But Christian, let me take it one step forward. You have been one of the architects of the Poseidon principles. So your commitment to sustainability, decarbonization and uh, ESG issues in general is, is very well known and, and very strong. So when we talk about ESG, obviously all three components are very important, environment, social, and governance. Now, if you're a shipping company, you should obviously try to pursue all three of them. But if you were to prioritize, is there one of them that takes more precedence from a timing perspective um, or from an industry? mandate or market requirements? I, I, I think they all fill out what is important. Because if you look at, if you start with a G, I always start in a way with a G because that is, that, that is like the floor. Uh, you have to have a good governance. You have to have a good governance of the company being how you're structured, how you, the, the, the rules, regulations, the procedures, um, how you act. That is extremely important to really, if you don't have good governance, you will not succeed. So I think that that is really at the core. And in DNB working there, when we evaluated a company, uh, if we should do business with them before we even discussed credit, you, you, you looked at the governance. If the governance wasn't there, irrespectively of the assets, irrespective of what they were doing, then, then you really didn't come in the door. So the governance, the, the, the is who you are is core um, but then ENS is also part of that so so, so you cannot really say one is is more important than the other and and I would say shipping has always been extremely good on the S or the safety part of, of, of the S that's been like the safety first I mean who hasn't seen that slogan in in, in many shipping companies uh, so so safety uh, and security is really at the also at the core and it's just there as you cannot do the business without a big S. Um, so, so that's, um, but, it, but in the S you also have a diversity. That has not been a strong angle. So diversity and inclusion, I think it's come late to the agenda for the industry and, and it's, it's really striving to, to come around and, and find good ways of or um, improve that. Um, and, and, and I must say, having been in the industry for, I, I just call it some years, <laughs> but <laughs> it's not really changed. I, I maybe saw more females in the 90s than I see today uh, at, a, at a certain level in, in, in the industry. So um, that is that we have a way to go there and, and that has to be taken seriously because it's super important to, to have a diverse company or diversity within a company. It's not just female, but diversity to, to have diversity of thoughts in order to make certain you, you, you do the best possible for that company. I actually want um, to on that, the, the gender diversity, has it, I mean, as you mentioned in your career, it has been an important uh, element. Has it changed over time or you, you said not really? 
What has no, I would say not really, but it, the attention has changed. Today it is on agenda, and today you see uh, most large companies will have a gender or diversity uh, target, a KPI, um, and they will work towards it. And and um, I think you 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 might not succeed well if you don't have it as a target. And you have to start at the top because you, all all changes come from the top. Um, and and that it's not good enough to say there is no alternative. There are no talent in the industry. There's a lot of talent in the industry. You have you have to be better at coaching. Find them, let them try out. Just push, and to see that we really mean it. We're not talking. So I, I think that that is really where I I feel I work on it, but. And I feel we have not succeeded as an industry in in that uh, in that uh, in that area. Um, and then you just go, but just uh, just filling up the the E for the ESG, and yeah. we, we talked a bit about that. And it's become even more important. And and we started we started to see this also before you had the uh, the IMO requirements before we had this really on the agenda. For example, when it comes to scrapping. How do you scrap a vessel? That's both the E and the S and the G. Uh, how responsible? How do you take responsibility for the last part of the life of an asset which you have, um, have had had in your portfolio? So, I would say the E is has been there, but it's really also come come to the table um, uh, more and more. And I think what companies what we realize now is talked about the Poseidon principle. Yes, that was a really a catalyst, I think, for the banks to, we didn't, we didn't find up a new way of doing things. We just, on the back of what IMO has said, we said, okay, let's put that, let's use that as a target. And let's see how our portfolio can develop in the same way. And by that, we will, we will in a way enforce that drive. And it, it was not like to say exactly what to do. It was just enforcing the direction and the drive for the for the industry, which I thought I think has become extremely important. And it shows it's possible when you actually um, when you actually work together, and and that also shows that capital has been driving the ESG um, much more than. We have seen capital has been driving the industry before. And our capital is not just the lender, it's also the all investors. So if you look at the investment community in the broad base, they are a central factor for how fast you will see the transition um, within the industry. Very interesting. And uh, thank you very much. But now, since we talk about change, if I can ask you, um, that is also related to uh, the environmental uh, factors, technology. Technology is, is very big today in terms of uh, change and uh, also in terms of uh, capital investment needs. What do you see, uh, how do you see technology further affecting um, shipping? And how do you see the uh, involvement uh, of the uh, banking industry in terms of sustaining that technological change? Yeah, it is. It's, uh... And that's a big question. It's, um, I think if you go two steps back, banks or capital will invest in companies that have a future business model. If you see a company is not investing in the future design, dual fuel or the future fuel or have joint ventures or corporations with, with, um, with uh, uh, other R&D companies or other companies, and are really part of forming, finding, finding good alternatives. You have to question yourself, is that a client or a company you think will be, we should spend time with for the future? Are we, are we really good match for the future? Um, so I think it's, the banks will not, cannot have a view on this and that technology. They can have a view on, is it a company that takes it, that is a winner, a future winner, with what they invest in and, and how they put the resources, both the capital and the people and, and the technology on the table in order to make certain they, they are ahead of the curve. That is the core of it. For banks and investors, they, they, they will never be the specialist on, on technology. We, we, we try to follow, we try to, to know and understand all of us, what is really 
going on that that you cannot well i found it difficult to evaluate any project based on the technologies if it's a most new developed technology is an equity financed project and so what we look at is a company not that project we look at the company i see this is driving in the right direction. This we will be part of. So, uh, so I think it's come to a, a very high, sophisticated level, uh, which gives us comfort that you will have some very strong future companies, uh, which will manage to to reduce the emission. I mean, the industry emits between two two and a half, around two and a half percent, I think, of the of the emissions. That has to go drastically down. That's hard, but I think unless we have those high targets that we have now from the IMO, and those will come hard, will come become higher. You you might not have the necessary push. And then back to then your your the part of your question, capital will put a requirement that these companies meet their mission, meet the reduction, that they do have the harder targets, that they meet those targets. So access to capital will become harder if you are not part of the transformation. And you see the EU taxonomy coming into play and it's not finalized in any way when it comes to the details for, for shipping. But what we know is that just plays in the same league as, as other requirements that companies need to, to have to show that they their emission is reducing over time and con have concrete targets and, and very concrete on what you actually do. So you have a reliable story. And uh, so you get investors to believe in, yes, you are part of this transition. So I think that, that's really come from talking now to real, um, real reality. It's very interesting what you described and it's very obvious that uh, at the end of the day, it's a question of business model and uh, business strategy. And, and part of that, uh, is also a uh, company culture. And uh, you have, you are, uh, I mean, you, you have been on top of a very large global organization. Uh, now you are in a number of corporate boards. So how, how important is company culture? And uh, how, and, and I think uh, company culture to a large extent also comes down from the top. So how can the CEOs or the upper management instill this uh, concept of uh, corporate culture throughout the organization? Culture is the heart of the business. And you spend time on developing an organization, developing a company, and developing the business culture, the, 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 the people culture, the, the, what is, it, it's, that's a core part for how you do business. And it's a core part for how you manage to get best out of your resources. I mean, people resources. Um, so that's that's an ongoing, not work, but it's just a, it's 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 um what do you call it? Uh, it's at a core element of the company. And yes, it has to come from the top, because culture is not something you talk about. It's not something you live. Is something you 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 work with, and something you make certain is prospering um, and understood. And, and and changes in any company takes time, but the culture is is um, solidifying the culture. The culture is solidifying who we are, and is you use the culture to make changes, because having a good culture in a company. That gives a motivation, it gives security, it gives commitment, and it gives loyalty, and, and it makes, makes any changes, necessary changes, easier because you trust what is being done, what's being developed, why, which direction they're going. Uh, just that's part of when we, in, 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 in DNB, how we worked. I mean, spent a lot of time traveling, and unfortunately, you're not, you don't do that these days. That part of that was to build culture, to meet all your colleagues around the world, to make certain they are okay, they're fine, they 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 feel they they they, are, they, they understand what's 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 said. 
you know, it's a long distance from, uh, from one building to another and from one part of the world to another. And global business, global companies with global business, we all have different backgrounds and, and, and understanding of, of them. That's why we need to spend so much time to make certain we are all in the same boat, literally. So, yeah, so I would say, um, and then just ask, how do a board work with culture? We have to work with culture, understand how, what we, what's, what, what culture is important for this company. Is, are we there? Do we need to, what do we need to make certain to underpin the culture or support? What support do we need to do or are the changes we need to do? So extremely important for the board to understand but you opened the door to my next question. Uh, <laughs> of course, right now that uh, we don't travel, but that hopefully is temporary and we'll go back to uh, normality sooner, hopefully rather than later. But you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, being with clients in Peru, being with clients in Asia, in Norway, in Greece, in the US, it's a global business, it's a global culture. And how, I mean, Shipping is a 24-7 business and a global business. So if you allow me a little bit of a personal question, how did you how were you able to manage all this global traveling uh, and manage personal life, business life, business commitments, family, personal life? Yeah, I think uh, more female than men get that question to be honest. Uh, that's okay yeah i know it it is a you're so engaged you 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 as i said initially you you get so engaged by this and and you you, you get so taken by it and it's global you cannot just sit and work in oslo and not focus on or have attention to what's going on in both all the other part of the world so i think it's the fact that you, most of us have clients or connections uh, other places um, makes us all better and understand that we need to see these people. We need to travel to understand why is it different there? Why is it different there? What are the challenges there? Um, because as we know, it's very different from doing shipping in Greece to Oslo, Bergen, New York, Singapore. And you need to understand the dynamics uh, and why it is different and who they are in, in this place. So yes, it, it, I think we, just the nature of being in the business, you, you need to travel to really build the relationship. So I think that, but that is so gratifying to do when you meet all these fantastic people in any place and you end up always meeting people, you know, at the airport, you go to Singapore and you meet so many, you know, and, or build relationship and suddenly you meet them again. and. I think that is part of the fascination of the industry that you have built relationship globally and that enforces your and strengthens your understanding of the industry by having people to which you meet which are from so many different cultures again and and so i think that is that it's so important that you you're okay spending so much time of the day it's become part of your life being a it's been for me to be part of this industry and but you have to like it you cannot do this if you feel it's taking your time you have to feel this is i want to be part of it obviously right, times when you have holidays and things come up so that's in any, any industry but i would say it's so gratifying it's so in, it gives our energy to to work with people from from all all all, all places so um that's been my that's been my thinking so, Christian, we're coming to the uh, to the end of our uh, discussion. I wanted to ask you um, two things quickly, if I may. Now, if you look back at your career, is there anything, any advice you would give to a younger self, uh, or is there anything you would have done differently? Uh, I normally don't look so much back. I think I try to take experience with me idea. because uh, I did what I could at that time and, and, so it, and it makes so many mistakes. So <laughs> you cannot spend, but learn from it. Learn from it, I think is, uh, and, and really take that with you. But, but as I also said, um, I have not been making too many plans. I'm trying to take them as they come. 
open-minded to um, opportunities. And I think that if you work in a global industry, you have to be, well, if you're open-minded towards opportunities, people, it, it becomes such a, such a fascinating place. Um, well, my last question was exactly on advice you would like to give to anyone who is considering to enter the industry today. And I think you, you just started discussing yeah, about open-minded. I, I would say it's a really an interesting in, industry to work with. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting. It's global. It's dynamic. It's cyclical. You learn so much. You, you so many characters. And, and you, you, and, but you need to be curious. You need to want to learn. The fact that it is global, you need to understand what's going on in the world. I think that also makes us makes it even more uh, interesting. So um, there's so many good reasons to start in the industry. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for being with us today and, and for sharing your career, your life experiences. I have to confess that uh, having people like yourself and, and the others that we have the privilege to uh, interact with in this podcast series, going back. Uh, in time, discussing about today and looking forward, make it a unique combination of, uh, as I said, insight. Uh, you know, we all learn from the past. And I think that experience allows us to evaluate the present and also plan for the future. So I would like to thank you very much for being with us today. It's been a great privilege to know you, work with you, and of course, have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nicola. It's been a pleasure to... To, to go through all this, uh, your, your, all your questions and think, think back. And uh, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you very much. Thank you.